shall be called Jesus. For he shall save, not attempt to save, not try to save, not hope to save, not want to save, but he shall save his people from their sin. Is that right? I said, is that right? Now I hear this. I hear this. I hear it on televisions. I hear it in churches. That God has done all he can do. The rest is up to you. If the rest is up to you, then he didn't accomplish it. If anything is up to you, he didn't accomplish it. I've even heard this. You've got to help God save you. He can't do it by himself. If God cannot do it by himself, then he didn't accomplish it. He's a false God. He's a liar. And you best not trust him. If he didn't do it, then we ought to stop singing, Jesus paid it all. Saying he paid some of it. Now, brothers and sisters, if he did not accomplish it, we are here in vain. And you can have all of the religion you want. If this was not accomplished, we're going to hell. It's just that blunt, it's just that simple, it's just that clear. But if he did do it, he doesn't need your best and your works need not speak for you. If he did do it, you can leave here rejoicing that your sins are now under the blood and he stands as your substitute, your mediator before God this morning, pleading the blood, pleading his blood, that perfect sacrifice that holy attainment he's pleading the blood you can rest that all of my sins are under that blood did he accomplish it did he fail do we need mohammed to come after him do we need another prophet after him i declare this morning he paid it all he paid it all every drop of it every sin I was going to commit every sin I thought about committing he nailed it to his cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord it is well with my soul I love that clip from DJ Warden he uh, served at a church in Lexington, Kentucky, up the road where I was at for seven and a half years. And it reminds me of something. That faithful, gospel-proclaiming churches from coast to coast, continent to continent, from the first century to today, proclaim Jesus is sufficient. 
He's sufficient. That our redemption is accomplished because he paid it all. He paid it all. That's our big truth this morning, that Jesus is the sufficient sacrifice. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But i got to be honest, I, I, I have a fear that we so often do not meditate and think deep enough about our sin. And as a result, the marvel of this, the marvel that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient is lost on us. It's underestimated. Maybe we're like the original readers in Hebrews who were sluggish in their thinking. We are entertained and distracted and we just settle for what is simple, what's easy. Uh, We compromise. We just so flippantly process big truths as if there's some like spam email we get. Yet, Do we seldom work through them and process them into our core beliefs, our reasoning? Maybe we are so tempted to just remain simple, to be sluggish, that we are resistant in our sin to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And as a result, it is lost on us because we do not grasp the depth, the debt of our sin. Therefore, the sufficiency, the accomplishment of Jesus' sacrifice is underestimated. Today, I want us to make much of Jesus. I want us to see more clearly and marvel and leave in awe and wonder that he would lay down his life for us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you. While we were sinners, you loved us. Lord, this morning, give us the wisdom in your spirit to see and understand that more deeply, that we might live with a greater hope and a full assurance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we have an elder conversation this morning, so we're going to be brief, okay? So I can't preach until 1 o'clock. I know you're sad about it, but I am a little. So we've been studying through the book of Hebrews, and really ever since we've been in Hebrews chapter 4, we have been circling through the sacrificial system of the Old Covenant. And in it, man, we have seen Jesus delivers Sabbath rest, Because he's a better high priest, he's a better high priest because he serves over a better covenant. He serves over a better covenant because 
Jesus is the better sacrifice. And so we've looked at priests and Melchizedek and sacrifices and laws and blood. I mean, all of it. And congratulations, we have kind of made it to the end of this section. For so those of you who are like, man, I feel like we have been in this sacrificial system for months. We have been. And today is kind of the end of that. It's a turning point in the author's argument as he's writing uh, to these Hebrews. And so one more circling summary of this section from our author. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these there is no longer any offering for sin. Jesus is the sufficient sacrifice. Two implications, two big ideas that we're going to work through this morning. First, all right, first, our sacrifices can never take away our sin. Verse 11, all the priests of the old covenant We've been reading this for chapters. All the priests of the Old Covenant, they worked day after day, repeatedly offering sacrifices. I mean, there was effort. There was discipline. They worked. They dedicated their lives to it. And yet, they could not take away their sin. Listen, you can spend your life offering sacrifices. You can do good. And yet, seeking righteousness, right standing before God, that way is a fool's errand. Why? You will never take away your sins. You cannot. And this is the author's point. The old covenant is limited. It's incomplete. Your debt is beyond your reach. You cannot pay it. You are spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing to offer. There is no sacrifice you can make to pay the debt of your sin. It is beyond you. Why? Yes, our sin is great, but it isn't some external thing. 
It isn't something that just like happens to us. Our sin doesn't somehow float around in the space around us. Your sin is inseparable from who you are. It marks you. It is part of your character. It is part of your nature. It is you. It's who you are. In one of the greatest TV moments in history, and I do not understate this, one of the greatest TV moments in history, Michael finds himself in financial problems. And he opens the door and he walks out of his office and he shouts to the rest of the workplace, I declare bankruptcy! And turns and walks back in his office. It's great. A few minutes later, Oscar comes in. And in love, Oscar says, Michael, you, you can't just say the word bankruptcy and expect anything to happen. And Michael responds, I didn't say it. I declared it. Such a great line. And Oscar comes back and says, well, well, still, that doesn't work. How do you think your sin debt is forgiven? I mean, really, do you think about it? I mean, I know Jesus. But do you naively think it happens so easily? When we die to self and turn to Jesus in faith, we do so proclaiming, Nothing in me. Death. Everything. Everything in Jesus. Life. Jesus gets at this in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. He begins and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. It doesn't mean that they just had little Rather, it means they they have absolutely nothing. They are spiritually bankrupt. They are desperate. They need God's help. There is no illusion in them that they have something to bring. It is not 99% Jesus and 1% me. It's not your sacrifices plus Jesus' sacrifices, and we're good. And see, we're tempted to think this way, to fall back into this trap, this thought of, you've got this. It's not that bad. And we use words like that, and we don't think about it. We don't slow down to think what we're subtly telling ourselves when we say, she's so innocent. He's a good guy. We're not that bad. Jesus says, blessed are the hopelessly desperate. Why? Because we are sinful. Listen to what the Bible says about our sin. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart 
was only evil continually. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Isaiah 64.6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. In other words, nasty. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Romans 7, 18, Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Listen, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned John 8 34 Jesus answered them truly truly I say to you everyone who practices sin is enslaved to sin don't wait in it's not like I just just did a little bad thing but I'm not as bad as those people no you're enslaved by it Why? Because Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in a verse we overlook a lot, Psalm 5.5, God, you hate all evildoers. So this is not very encouraging. Like, I've had a tough week. I was hoping for something a little more encouraging. You are kind of beginning to hurt my feelings. I, I shared this uh, a few weeks ago in Equip, and it's just been on my mind a lot lately. Lena was little, I don't know, probably like three or something, and Amy was correcting her, and it wasn't really particularly stern, it was just as matter of fact, but there was correction. And Lena's eyes started like watering up and she kind of started to have a pouty face and she looked back at Amy and goes, Mom, you're hurting my feelings. And I don't know, I maybe have never been more proud of Amy than in that moment. Amy turns back, looks at Lena and goes, well, sometimes you need your feelings hurt. Man, that was a truth bomb for a three-year-old. See, the temptation is, oh, sweetie, I would never, you're fine. No, it's true. She wasn't mean about it. It was just the truth. Sometimes we need our feelings hurt because our feelings can deceive us. They can rob from us. See, these feelings that say, I need to have something to offer, that I need to somehow contribute to my righteousness, 
that I've got to bring some sacrifices into this as well. Let me explain to you what they're doing. They are building up your pride and they are tearing down God's character. They are making more of you and less of him. And sometimes we need our prideful feelings hurt to see in fullness the work of Jesus. Left to yourself, left to myself, we are messed up, broken. Paul says in Romans 5.8, in a very similar connection to what we just read in Hebrews, and we'll see again, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not because you're lovable. Your best is nasty. Not because you're not so bad. You are desperately sick. Not because you're faithful. No, you're a selfish cheater. God shows his love for us, sacrificing himself because he is love. Listen, if you get one thing, get this. God loves us because of his character, not yours. God loves you because of who he is, not who you are. And yes, that might hurt your feelings initially, but if you'll think through that, are you not glad that the commitment of God's love to you is not anchored in who you are? Do you not remember who you are? We have nothing but sin. And He loves us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we have come to know, verse 16, and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God in Him. See, this is what the author is building to. Why would you hold to the old covenant? It never took away sin. And it never will. Verse 12, but Christ... But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down, accomplished, at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. 
our second implication, second big idea. Jesus' sacrifice takes away our sin. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. In a single sacrifice, he took on himself all of our sin. He accomplished our salvation in his sacrifice, perfecting for all time those who are being sanctified. Who's that? That's those who have been justified by faith, declared righteous by the grace of God. Jesus is perfecting them in his sacrifice. For a moment, just allow your pride, your feelings to be hurt for a moment. Like, just take a moment and just consider yourself exposed. If everyone in this room knew your sin, you can't hide it, you can't pretend to be something else, your hate, your pride, your immorality, your rejection of the creator and sustainer, just known. Whatever you and I can picture, it's worse. And now rejoice. Jesus has accomplished your redemption. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. He took on flesh. He took on your sin and your death, and he paid it in full and rose again. Not because you're something, but church, because he is. He is God, and his sacrifice is sufficient. I'm going to ask the team to come up. We're going to transition into a time of response and a time of praise and song. But I want to make sure you understand what's happening here. Now in the new covenant, in Jesus' sacrifice, the author of Hebrews is going to say, you and I have hope. A hope of full assurance. Access into God's presence forever as joint heirs with Jesus. His law now marking our hearts, the stain of sin no more. We had nothing. And now through faith in Jesus, we have it all because he has paid it all. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel that is in Jesus. While we were sinners, you loved us. You sent your only begotten son to take the penalty 
of our sin, to take our death on himself. And in that sacrifice, through faith, you have made a way for our redemption. Lord, we praise you. You are worthy of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.